This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Open Gaming Store, PDFs, and Print, Come On In, and listeners like you. Thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links. Welcome to the Tome Book Club for November and December of 2016. The Tome is a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley. And I'm Jeff Greiner, and in each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-related book, spoilers be damned, in full book club style. And our book this time around is The Devil You Know by Aaron M. Evans, who we'll be talking to later in the episode. And joining us in this episode, as always, is Eric M. Paquette. Happy birthday, my friend! Thank you. Yes, it's on my birthday. And joining us for a recording on his birthday. Yes. Also joining us, as often happens, Jeffrey D. Wynn from the Appendix N podcast. Hi, everyone. So, Hi. that's everyone. We're so excited yeah. to, to hear him. Yep. I'm excited. Yes. Next month, we'll be reading the book The Seekers of Solace by Jelly Johnson. We're set to finish it at the end of February. Please feel free to join us. But now, on for the book for this month, The Devil You Know. But before we jump into that discussion, we should mention our sponsor, OpenGamingStore.com. Open Gaming Store is an online gaming store that has a ton of PDF products for mini game systems as well as some print or physical products. What's more, they offer a bonus. For every $20 you spend, you get a free PDF. And if you enter the coupon code TOMESHOW2016, you get an additional 10% off your total price. My open gaming store pick of this episode is a book called Quests of Doom Volume 1. It's a collection of a dozen 5th edition adventures designed to evoke a 1st edition feel by Necromancer Games. It includes a collection of writers that, that has names that you might recognize like Ed Greenwood, Skip Williams, and Steve Winter. The PDF is only about $20 for all those adventures and nearly 200 pages of content. Or you can select the print and PDF option for about $40. Check it out and let them know that the Tome Show sent you. Now, to tell you a bit more about Open Gaming Store, I'd like to welcome your older sibling's cool gaming friend. Bro, OpenGamingStore.com is amazing. You gotta get on there, man. It's gonna blow your mind. Here's why. You like money? They help you save money. They've got tons of awesome bundled RPG PDFs every single week that you can buy. You like hardcover books? You like cool gaming accessories? You gotta have cool metal dice, right, if you're gonna be cool like me. Well, you can get it all at OpenGamingStore.com and at a discounted price. So check them out, OpenGamingStore.com. Make sure you tell them the Tome Show sent you, man, because if you're not listening to the Tome, we're not cool. All right, we're back. Let's dig into The Devil You Know. The Devil You Know. Uh, Jeff, what is The Devil You Know about? It's about all of the characters that we have uh, grown to love over this sprawling six-book epic series coming together uh, in Timanther for an epic showdown with uh, the forces of evil and... Other forces. <laughs> the forces of evil and, and things. Lots of things are, are happening in this book. Uh, lots, of, lots of plot threads uh, getting, getting uh, tied up. And pretty much everyone gets, uh, gets an ending of, of some kind. It's uh, really fascinating. 
Yeah, no, it is. And and I was we t- you talked about it being primarily set in Tamanther, and that seems to be true. Although they do run off to um, into their their hometown. Uh, what is it, Arushvayam? Um, Which turns out to be in Tymanther. Oh, is it? Yes. Yeah, because they just like fly there in like a day. Oh, man. See, I always had it in my head that it was like in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, me too. I gathered it was in Tymanther, but in the mountains. Okay. Uh, And then they also at one point kind of hop off to Aglarond for a short time. And and they they briefly pop into another dimension and visit Lost uh, Abir, right? Yes. Yes. They go, they go to a beer, go pick up the staff of Azul, and come back. I mean, that's why I usually go to a beer. I think I think this is the first time we've visited a beer in in any Forgotten Realms fiction product that that I, that, that I know of, fiction or otherwise, so far as I know. I don't think that yeah. any gaming product has ever been there either. Yeah, I mean, they they introduced this fantastic concept in fourth edition and didn't use it for the entirety of fourth fourth edition. Yeah, and we also never visited the continent of a beer on the other side of the world. Yeah, the, uh, that replaced Mazteca. There was that return to beer like continent that was kind of briefly outlined in uh, in the campaign guide, the fourth edition campaign guide, and then they never did anything with it. Yep, Which, wasted wh- potential. Well, and and part of me wonders, like, how much of that was them saying, "Oh." The fans clearly don't like how much we change things. Maybe we don't highlight all the big changes, you know, in, in future products. Yeah, well, wizards wizards uh, never seem to know quite what they're what they're doing or or what they want to do. Uh, but this book this book is by Aaron Evans, who is not a giant corporation, uh, <laughs> who is not a giant publishing conglomerate. She's a creative person and a great storyteller and. Uh, I, I loved this book and I love all these characters and I'm sad that we, that we won't be seeing them again very soon. Yeah, and it sort of wrapped up and, and I know we're skipping way to the end, right? But it yeah. sort of wraps up with the... the um, I was a little, I guess, I was a little surprised to see that it wrapped up with sort of the epilogue of and many years later they all lived happily ever after and this is where they were and whatever. So Because that sort of not only like wraps up the story but it kind of puts a period on the end of it that says, okay, we're done telling Brimstone Angels books. No matter what happens in the future, we can't come back and do any more. Didn't we just have a conversation, or maybe that was with, with James, about uh, the, the end of the of the novel line? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, that was with James. I don't remember. Yeah. I might have been on that episode. I don't remember no, you, were not, you were not on that episode, but Jeff and I were on that episode talking about what the speculation where the novel line seemed to be ending. Mm-hmm. Hmm? So. Yeah, maybe maybe you you asked uh, Aaron about about some some of these things. Uh, wh- I mean, maybe you will ask her about these things <laughs> when you talk to her in the future. Uh, in the future, in the past, it, <laughs> we, it, since we recorded the interview with her yesterday. Uh, it it does sort of seem seem like things were were hastily wrapped wrapped up. You know, when all throughout this series, and even even at at the end of the last book, I speculated that well, these this story could could run on for. 20 books or more it could it could rival the uh legend of drist but uh she seems to have wrapped everything up nice and neatly with with a bow and we did talk to her a little bit about that so people should definitely listen into that interview we talked a little bit about um sort of like i don't know that it was hasty in terms of like she didn't have enough warning to really do the the ending justice but certainly she had ideas for a whole other arc of books 
um, that sort of got touched on. Uh, like there was this whole arc uh, dealing with Havilar's kid, Ramsey, and and recovering the child and and what that would entail and and all this other stuff that she w- could have done and then ultimately <laughs> didn't do, but sort of still introduced the kid anyway because she'd kind of foreshadowed it in previous books and didn't want to leave that hanging. So so certainly there was more books that she was interested in doing, but she also said like she knew. Because she's she used to be an editor for Wizards of the Coast before she was a freelance author, and she, so she talks about how she she kind of understands what the situation is like on both ends of of the writing process, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And so she's like, you know, even though this could go on forever, um, she's like, I want I kind of want to be ready, you know, in case they decide to wrap it up. I want I want to be able to to reach a satisfying conclusion no matter where they are when they say, okay, wrap it up. Mm-hmm. So, and, I, and so I think she was prepared for it, and I think, it, I think it, she pulled it off pretty well. Yeah, I think so too, that she managed to wrap it up. I mean, there is, I felt a bit that for Lorcan and Cersei, there was some, a bit some dangling thing that they were up to doing something else that could develop into something, mm. like slightly, but... Overall, they, they still feel. I still feel that it was well wrapped up, well finished of all the, the bow. Uh, Faraday chose Dal at the end mm-hmm. between Dal, Dal and Lorcan. So, those who wanted Lor- her to be Lorcan are a bit disappointed. Those who, who wanted, she takes both are disappointed too. Mm. Well, I would have been. I would have been thoroughly pissed if she ended up with Lorcan. But yeah. <laughs> Well, you all know who I wanted her her to end I, up with. That, <laughs> that was never going to happen. What do you think, Tracy? So uh, I have to fess up and say my five-month-old has made it kind of hard for me to finish the book on time. Oh, So, so we're, we are spoiling the book for Tracy as we speak. It's okay. Spoilers be damned. That's right. Maybe we should change the slogan to spoilers be slarned. Slarm. <laughs> Frasting spoilers. Uh, but, I mean, as much as I, I like the possibility of the ending up with both, it's fine that it's all. <laughs> he suffered enough. Yeah. yeah I, feel, I feel like Lorcan and, and Sayerche were given a chance to start over, basically. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, the story, it was really feeling it that toward the book that Lorcan and Dal could not work together for even for Faraday and basically she had to make at one point a choice because yeah. both of them would not work. So as much as they seemed to try working together, they just couldn't. Mm. And part of me wonders if, if that wasn't Dahl reaching a point where he re- he was becoming more and more serious about the relationship and being like, okay, clearly as I'm in this relationship and I'm thinking about the future – this can't be part of that. So something has to change, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, you really can't be married to a woman if the the, the woman has a former lover who's tied to her magically just showing up at random times to uh, give her spells and, and make uh, demonic pacts with her. I mean, uh, one one can be married and have that relationship, but Dahl couldn't. So, it would it would be extremely awkward. It could be, yeah. It would it would make uh, alone time uh, very very problematic. 
I'm kind of disappointed that that I, th- I think if we if we got 20 more books, we would we might have seen Lorcan d- develop more because she was I, th- I think Aaron was exploring in this book like what if what if Lorcan had his demonic nature taken taken away, what if he became uh, human because I, I believe he he had a curse that was placed on him by Grass in the in the last book mm-hmm. that was sort of mm-hmm. that was sort of taking away his. I keep saying demonic. It's it's diabolic. Diabolic. Uh, yes, uh, he he had some some kind of curse that was making him human. I wasn't entirely sure what was going on because that was one of the fifty plot threads that I that I only half remembered from from the last book. But she, I think I think Aaron Evans was sort of playing with that, and she didn't get get the space to fully uh, develop that that idea. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm all about a redemption arc for Lorcan. Um, I still don't think she's allowed to end up with Lorcan at the end of that redemption arc, because <laughs> Lorcan is like through most of the books is the is clearly the metaphor for an abusive relationship, uh, and I'm not okay with with in the end we end up with the abuser. That's fair. What do you think, Tracy? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in, and in fairness, in fairness, and in 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 uh, an effort for transparency, I had this very very conversation with Erin like several books ago off, off the record, and mm-hmm. and she made it known to me. And I think she even let Tracy leave first because she didn't want to spoil Tracy. But she made it known to me that she, that in the end, she uh, that Frida was not going to end up with Lorcan, and that that made it okay for me to move forward. <laughs> so. Yeah, I remember you having like really a hard time with Lorcan. And there are issues with the whole him being a totally abuser thing mm-hmm. that I wish weren't there because I do feel, on the other hand, that sometimes he can be a little fun. Oh, sure. And mm-hmm. that's, like, really missing with Doll. No, I enjoy working <laughs> as a character. I just don't want, him, want Frida to end up with him. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, like, you know, I would never want a living, real, breathing person to ever end up with Lorcan. But a, a uh, totally fictional character that allows people like to explore other things is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, in in the Drist books, after so many centuries, Drist is friends with his once mortal enemy, Artemis and Treri. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are they are pals. I mean, Artemis would not say that they are pals, but they're pals. Sure. So. I have a feeling that if Farida and Lorcan and and Dahl were all to somehow be together, adventuring after a hundred years or so, they would they would find a way to work past all their their differences. Oh, and, and I'm perfectly okay with her being friends with Lorcan. She just can't end up with him at the end. <laughs> I have I have very few problems with Lorcan so long as is he's not in a relationship with Farida. Okay. Can, can Lorcan be, Lorca be in a relationship with anybody else? I, I mean, I, I want to see him go through that redemption arc first. Okay. And then I think he can. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Can he least, be friends with benefits? <laughs> I mean, if it's mutual, I suppose. But okay. like, part of the issue with Lorcan is that there's no such thing as mutual when there is clearly a power imbalance. Right. You know, so... Well, that's that's due to his half fiendish nature, and if, if if that were removed from from him, then then he then he would be free to make his his own choices. He he'd be free to have feelings. Sure. Yeah. Right? 
But during that brief time where he was cursed and sort of human, you saw him in that point being uncomfortable about not having, and he was still acting in his di- diabolic, d- devilish ways. Right. I think I think that's because that's what what he was he was used to. He's he's not used to feeling things. He's he's not used to feeling genuine emotion. He's he's not used to feeling tired and and hungry even. So. Yeah. Well, and there are definitely parts where he's like, what is this feeling I have? It's interesting. I want to explore it more, but I must live. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, he's, he, he's got very powerful devils who will be very angry with him if, if he does not keep Farida on, on the right track. And, and, and I think that's, that's been the, the major barrier between Lorcan and some kind of redemption arc this entire series. Is, is he, he knows very well that if he even inches towards any kind of goodness, his bosses will come down on him. They will, they will know right, right away and they will snuff him out like a, like a flame on a, on a candle. So he's basically upper management in a, uh, a corporation. Yeah. He's, he, he's where he never wa- wanted to be. Cause all, all throughout like the first couple books of the series, his, his whole mantra is don't get noticed play it safe and then he gets he gets noticed and he's he spends the rest of the series trying to just trying to live trying trying to you know being thrust into a position of authority and then trying to survive that in in the hells which is not something that's easy to do yeah so yeah this happens to a lot of characters doesn't it cuz uh Bryn starts off by not wanting to be lord crownsilver right mm-hmm. yeah he and- he's, he doesn't want that position of authority mm mm-hmm. mhm Happens to to Mahan. He's he's almost a, oh, yeah. a, a elected vanquisher. Yeah, there there is definitely a theme here that Aaron M. Evans does not want to be in charge of things. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we've talked a lot about sort of Lorcan's arc through the story. Let's let's go through some of those other characters. Uh, you mentioned Bryn. Does he have much of an arc here? I feel like he's mostly just keeping an eye on things for Havilar. Well, Bryn, Bryn and, and and Havilar, I think I think they go together in this story. They yeah. they they share they share the same thread. On the they, one hand, they do. On the other hand, uh, Farida and Havilar share the same thread. So mm-hmm. th- those threads intertwine at one point. Yeah, Bryn Bryn doesn't have much to do here except you know when when it's when when he's doing it with uh, Havilar. I think I think their story here is coming to terms with the fact that they are parents and yeah. didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically. Uh, he's mostly there, keeping an eye at the start of, on Havilar, who was possessed by by Briseis Cascastos, mm-hmm. and then uh, then suddenly when they find out that that they have uh, that there's Ramsey, they have a kid mm-hmm. dealing with an eight year old kid that doesn't know them without really imposing upon them because. Trying to respect the fact that he actually was raised by actual people who he believes are they're his parents. So, mm-hmm. and and his mother is currently appearing to him as a ghost. Yes. Oh, oh, uh, Ramsey's Ramsey's mother is appearing. Yeah, Hav- 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 Havilar is appearing to him as a ghost. Yes. There's there, yeah. there, there's an evil entity possessing his real mother's body, and and Havilar is 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 appearing to to, to Ramsey as a ghost, and it's really hard to raise a child. That, that well, way. although they never really like Havilar and Bryn never really take it on themselves uh, that 
they're going to be the the quote real parents now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're the biological parents, but they never have it in, in their head to take Ramsey away from the parents yeah. who have raised him. Like they they don't want to raise him. They yeah. want they want him to survive and then get back home. Yeah. Yeah, I I I chalked this up to to Aaron having to end the series in a hurry because I think I think if she knew that that she had more more books, she would have explored that relationship more. Yeah, maybe. Although I, I I'm not I'm okay with the idea of of the biological parents having a relationship with their child, but not trying to be the parents when they're yeah. already our parents. You know. Because right. I mean they they made the smart choice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because they they see in Ramsey of how they were not raised by their biological parents, they were raised by Meehan. So mm-hmm. they're seeing that symmetry just going on on Ramsey. So they don't, they have that level of respect of like, okay, no, those are your parents. <laughs> yep. So, mm-hmm. so we got a little. You, we talked a little bit about Bryn here, and I, I want to come back to Frida and Havilar and all that. Um, what about Dahl though? What's Dahl's story in in this in this novel? Dahl is the guy that Frida chooses because he's safe. (laughs) Sounds so boring that way. He's safe. (laughs) I mean, Dahl's one of those characters that I think does suffer a little bit in this book because it it had to be tied up and there wasn't more time to tell his story. And Aaron talks about this a little bit in the interview that there's this whole prophecy thing involving Dahl that just sort of ends up going by the wayside because there's just not enough time to deal with it. Yeah, this has been going on for for several books now, where where he's been hearing about, you know, when the when the when the something speaks by the stream, or I, I can't even re- remember it now. When when my priest speaks, something I mm-hmm. forget. Yeah. And uh, who's who's the the who, who's the mad wizard who's being possessed by um by uh, Azuth, Ilston. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, his storyline also just kind of gets swept swept aside. Yeah, I, I kind of – so I got about a third of the, or maybe a quarter of the way through the book and I, and I found out that I – I my head was in a place where I was thoroughly confused about what was going on. <laughs> and so uh-huh. since I happen to be friends with Aaron on Facebook, I, I basically did a summary of, okay, here's what I understand is going on so far because Aaron definitely likes to write stories with about 15 different plot threads going on at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and about ten different character perspectives and all that kind of stuff. Like at one point, we even got Zuni's perspective, which was probably my favorite thing. Oh, that that reminded me so much of a of a of a Pathfinder novel. Um, the oh, yeah? second the second book of David Gross's. Um, oh, I, I for, for, forget the name of 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 the series, the but series. there's a there's a dog. Very good. But anyways, yeah, but but anyways, yeah, yeah. So I, I I did like the. Okay, here's my really simple understanding of what's going on here, Aaron. Am I close? And some of it was like, oh yeah, and Bryn's kind of just hanging out, babysitting with Havilar, and and Dahl ended up hanging out with the uh, the 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 uh, on mm-hmm. accident. You know, I'm not, and I'm like, I'm not entirely sure how he ended up there or what's going on. But now he's like, oh, I guess I'll just embed with with them here because I'm a Harper and that's what I do. You know, because he was in the Underdark for a bit because that's where. Uh, Lorcan had sent him to yeah. say, "Yeah, and and I'm glad to see that they they had figured out in this book that when when Lorcan and and Dahl made their deal, um, that becomes sort of a, a sticking point through the whole book. 
about how Do- and, and how Dahl cannot speak to Farida. And, and I remember when, when the deal was first struck, I'm like, oh, well, that doesn't mean you can't communicate with Frida. You just can't speak with her. You know, yeah. write her notes or whatever. And so they started doing that. I don't know why they always had to be writing on, on each other's skin or whatever. Because <laughs> that was sexy. <laughs> I, I don't know why you couldn't just get a piece of paper. But... Tracy, was that, was that sexy? Were they were there writing passionate notes on each other's skin just before making love? I don't know. I didn't, wait, is that in the second half? Maybe. <laughs> Tracy may not be there yet. <laughs> I have stuff to look forward to. Ah, oh, spoilers. Yes. <laughs> it's okay. Sexy, sexy spoilers. <laughs> I mean, th- there were there was even moments when, when that wasn't sort of their, their foreplay, when that was just the way that they communicated. I'm like, certainly somebody's got a scrap of paper you could get out and just, and just scribble this down. He's <laughs> a warlock, not a wizard. <laughs> I guess, but then again, you have to get that that doll is a uh, paladin of Ogma, so would would, would be writing stuff. So. True. So what happened with with all of these chosen and all of these gods in the end? I feel like like it ended in one big mess where gods were pulled apart and smushed together, and there was some really fast wheeling and dealing and everyone kind of walked away happy but I, i'm still not really sure what what so, happened so here's and here's the thing there is a meta story going on with the whole sundering and all of that that deals with the gods and and i don't really like that they the way they did it necessarily like you know they, they always likened the sundering to we're telling different stories within the larger setting of world war ii and world and the sun the sundering is world war ii and it's like well that's fine but that works because I know the story of World War II, right? But they never tell us the story of the Sundering, except in a, in a sort of meta sense. The novels and the game products and whatever always sort of allude to this stuff going on with the Sundering. But unless you're paying attention to sort of the meta, you know, that comes out in interviews and articles and stuff, you, you don't actually ever catch the sort of larger story. The, the, basically, the, the gist is this. The Sundering, of course, is the re-splitting of Toril and Abir, uh, putting a bunch of the things back where they were supposed to be, basically putting the world a, a lot closer to the way it was before the spell plague. Mm-hmm. Although not entirely, because there's still some things there. There's still remnants or whatever. You know, the dragonborn is still around and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're putting a lot of it back, and and that was a big event and whatever. And then at and, and many of the missing gods came back uh, because they they got rid of a lot of uh, gods they probably shouldn't have gotten rid of from the beginning. Uh, and so, so a lot of that was sort of not reset, but moved forward in a way that restored some of the old ways. Uh, and in the process of doing so, Ao eventually, um, I mean, there is a story of Ao like smashing the tablets of fate, which at the at, during the Avatar trilogy was sort of what started this whole period of upheaval. I don't remember that ever being discussed anywhere other than in interviews with like Chris Perkins. But apparently Ao smashes the Tablets of Fate and says, okay, no more of this chaos. The gods are not going to interfere in the world anymore. Um, you know, and so now the Forgotten Realms gods are much more aloof um, than they were for the last 20, 30 years. Yeah, I'm pretty, pretty sure that was uh, James Wyatt who, who laid, laid all, that now, all that out, who is sadly now working more on the magic side, yeah. side of things. So yeah, no, I, and I kind of wish they had had sort of the realm shaking event series that laid all that out for people. Mm-hmm. 
And you can certainly see hints of it in the novels, and you can see hints of it in some of the game products, like the Return of Ball and, and some of that kind of stuff. They played out in some of the game products. Um, but but yeah, I kind of wish there was like a source where you could sort of follow the meta story, and, and there never was. So anyways, we, we end with uh, Asmodeus is back, Azuth is back, mm-hmm. Enlil is back. But Enlil died. I think they used Enlil to be able to do the whole thing. What did they use the body of the moon god for? Yeah, I thought that's what they used the, the, the moon god for. Was to sort of power their thing and to get the divine spark. Oh no, they, but they brought the moon god back. Because that was Enlil's son. And yeah, he, he wanted him brought back as a mortal. So I guess I guess Enlil died again. Did that did that happen? That yeah, I don't remember. Too bad you can't go back to the future and ask uh, Aaron. Yeah, <laughs> Eric, you said you you seem to remember Enlil dying. Is that a thing? Uh, yeah, from what I recall, Enlil was the one being used to kill off because they needed that to be able to split the shard. If Enlil's dying, why did they need the divine spark from the Moon God? Like that was the, yeah. the that was the whole thing with the Moon God is that well we can bring him back as a mortal and then use his divine spark to satiate Asmodeus and and Azuth so both of them can be gods. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, sadly, Forgotten Realms uh, Wikia hasn't uh, updated to include this this book yet, so I don't right. I don't know what's what happened. I felt like the whole plot line with, with Enlil and, and the Dragonborn society trying to adopt him didn't work okay. for me. Why is that? I don't know. Like, like it, it seemed like it, like it didn't sing. Like, like they were just going through it in a, in a very mechanical way. You know, here's this story about a society which has never adopted a god. You know, they've been in the Forgotten Realms for a, a hundred years. Uh, you know, there's a there's a cult of the platinum dragon, which they sort of treat as like as like outcasts. And here here comes the first god that they're sort of willing to to adopt, and it, it's basically just sort of out of necessity. It's just, just sort of sort of a contract, and it it just feels very very dry and mechanical, and it doesn't really say any anything. Oh, see, I think that says a lot about them as a people, though. I think that's sort of the whole point is that their them as a people and their culture was never going to accept a god in the traditional way and this was the way that they could that they would right not not as something to be revered but but as a partner to to work with uh, and they couldn't deny the value of having a god on your side because Enlil had already saved them once I I guess I thought it was just a different ex- uh, uh, an exploration of a different way of of worshiping a god. But why why in a, in a in a hundred years is this is this the first time that that this has happened? What's what's different about this guy? Because dragonborn are badass and they didn't never needed help before. Well, there's that, but also <laughs> also probably because of the sun rain and the separation and all that. That's probably what caused Enlil to be able to come back. Well, and and as as well as Enlil's other son, who's the one who's leading the demon army or whatever to raise the dragonborn from the ground, because that's because the Timanther is sitting on top of uh, what was Unther, um, which had sort of, uh, if I'm remembering right, Unther was the one that was sort of Mesopotamian based, mm-hmm. and, so, and so that's why you have these sort of Mesopotamian based gods. Um, that don't really play a major role in the rest of the realms, but they're really important because they're tied to this land and these people. Mm-hmm. 
I think I think the imp, imp, implication is is that these gods uh, originally came to Earth, or yes. came 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 from Earth, and were sent to Toral sometime in the in the past, mm-hmm. you know, be, before even even first edition times. Um, yeah, I mean this this gets into some relatively deep realms lore, but but that, I mean that was certainly the implication in the early early conception of the Forgotten Realms was that it was a bunch of different places that that are not only analogous to real world places but but actual like transplants right mm-hmm. you know like Mulharond was Egypt and mm-hmm. Unther is uh is Mesopotamia I mean even Cormier is France and you know that kind of stuff yeah I mean well Aaron Nevins even even brings it up in 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 the book they they talk about how the how how those gods came to Toril during I think the the Orc Gate wars yes yeah, I mean, they never mentioned you know coming from Earth at that point, but certainly mm-hmm. um, earlier products would support that as as a reasonable option. Mm-hmm. So, going back to something you guys were talking about um, just a few minutes ago about how can like, there's a lot going on at a high level, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, g- given particularly that this was a conclusion book, uh, one of the things that struck me at, at some point was I was starting to get nostalgic for the early books. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. things were were slightly simpler, not necessarily that the complications were were bad or anything, just but it did give me that sense of nostalgia. So I was wondering if anyone else felt that. Yeah, especially, yeah. especially when we, when we went back to Arush Vayam, um, I started to you know reminisce and remember back to the first book, and then when certain characters are revealed to not be what they appeared to be in Arush Vayam, I'm like, oh. Wouldn't it be cool if we could go back and see some of the earlier stories and see hints of that being a thing? It feels like uh, Frida and Havilar have leveled up. Yeah. Like, you know, and and this this is the point where it's it's just time to call the call the campaign quits because they're they're level twenty and they're they're dripping with magic items. I think Frida at at one point gets her hands on the ruby rod of of Asmodeus. Uh, and the staff of Azuth at the same time. Uh, so when you're when you're carrying that stuff around, uh, it's 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 time to uh, retire those those characters and uh, roll up some some new ones. I mean, they had some really powerful items like that, but but that was driven by story. I never really felt like they were dripping with power, so to speak. Right. Well, I was I was joking. But yeah, okay. <laughs> they're they're dealing with world ending threats i mean yeah no uh, absolutely and that's the thing that usually happens in these in these kind of books right is that you small you start with small like personal uh stories that that really are just about these characters and they're not even necessarily about much bigger threats than that uh and then they they all typically in a series like this they they slowly scale up to the point that the characters are saving the world or or existence or the universe or mm-hmm. whatever um, and sometimes it, I, I think to myself, well, wouldn't it be cool if somebody could just tell that small personal story and then keep it that way? <laughs> like keep keep making it a small personal story. But on the other hand, like I'm also the kind of person I want to see the escalation. Like if, if it keeps staying as a small personal story, uh, where's this going? You know, Aaron Evans basically does that. And then, you know, you do still have the personal story of the relationship between all these characters while this big, huge God level event is is happening. Mm-hmm. Where were, where and, were you, you going to say, Tracy? Oh, I also know that just the type of person that does run one through whatever the highest level campaign. One through 20. I, I, I tend to, yeah. Because <laughs> I like to see where it goes. And I like, yeah. I, I like playing superhero games. And I like it when I'm reading stories about people who get to that level. So, 
Your your babies can't stay babies for forever. That's right. What? <laughs> Don't tell Tracy that. She's got a five month old. But for returning to your question, Tracy, when reading, I was feeling it not really as a nostalgic, but look more of like, wow, they certainly changed a lot since the early books. You yeah. really see how different they are and how they develop and how because they're tackling these things because younger Faraday and Havilar would not have been able to deal with what they were dealing right there from a personal, emotional level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also thought it was interesting, uh, kind of based on that and the the threads thing that Jeff had brought up earlier about the parallels between the story of Havilar and Frida and uh, Briseis and her sister. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm? Whose yeah. name I can never remember, the sister, but yeah. It's Aliana uh, or something? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, Aliana, yes. But yes, yeah, I like those between the parts of the story, and you're basically seeing the development in the past of uh, Briseros Casestos, which at this time was known as Brisera, making those decisions, and it was like, I'm reading that, like, that's really similar to decisions that Ferda made, but the decision, the reasons why were different, and for Briseros it was much more, I found more, much more evil, and much more selfish and not mm. caring of what Elionia wants. Well, and certainly, though, you could you could see Farida following the same path. Like, mm. if, if it came down to saving Havilar's life and doing and if doing so put many other people at risk, Farida would have a hard time, I think, not saving her sister's life. Uh, and that's that's effectively the decision that Briseis Kakistos made was yeah. sacrificing know the world in order to save her sister that she loved yeah mm-hmm. and, th- and then eventually she lost that thread because she'd gone so far down the rabbit hole that it was just a matter of well i'm not giving up on this thing now sort of sort of thing mm-hmm. right and then uh i think we've talked about all the the characters the major characters and and we're looking at a supersized episode here once we had the the interview uh but what about i want to touch in with mehen and and the whole dragonborn society thing right mm-hmm. the, uh, and, and what was going on there? Because there was this whole storyline of him possibly becoming the Vanquisher, which is, it, it, I guess it's kind of their, uh, Timanther's version of, uh, we're going to crown you a king, but you're only king for a year, and then somebody else takes over, and, and that kind of thing. Well, this, this was an interim uh, yeah, Vanquisher, so it was, so this, this was, this was going to be a shortened term. I, I don't know how long a regular Vanquisher uh, reigns. I, I think it's for, for life, because the last oh, one so? died in died in battle okay I don't know. Is, was it is it really a leader or more so I, I was getting more impression that the vanquisher was more of the the leader the general of the army of the leader of the troops and since they're choosing what to do for their battles and since there was this demon army coming that's why it was important that they have a vanquisher oh see i thought he was uh, that the vanquisher was the the sort of the ruler of the whole civilization but they particularly needed somebody right now because the civilization needs leading when you're on the brink of war yeah, yeah the 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 vanquisher seemed seemed a bit like like the president uh and i i think i think the last va- vanquisher if correct me if if i'm wrong perished at the end of book 5 when they were fighting uh the the lightning storm and and, and all the demons that were coming out of out of the lightning storm that seems likely. Hmm. Or, 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 or maybe he was killed by the Moreji. So, so ultimately, uh, Mehen doesn't really want the job. Um, 
other his, people. His boyfriend Callan gets it. Yeah, well, right, and 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 that becomes a thing as well because uh, just when Mahen finally says, "You know what? Fine. If this is what it's going to take, I'll take the job, and we'll we'll do this thing, and you know, whatever." Right, and and then they're like, "Uh, no, actually, we kind of chose your boyfriend, so he's going to do it. Don't worry about it, Mahen. We never really wanted you anyway." <laughs> so, yeah. so Mahen is the first dragon. Yes, first first dragonborn. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, but, they're, not, they're not married, so... Yeah. But uh, Callan, for a while, was also not wanting to be the Vanquisher. That's mm-hmm. one of the reasons they had that conversation that was where I think Mihem wanted him to go for it, but Callan was not, like, was iffy about it mm-hmm. till that conversation where Mihem says, yeah, fine, I'll take it. And Callan says, no, you wouldn't be good in this. You would, you would not do a good job being Vanquisher and all that. And, mm-hmm. And thus, Callan decides at that point that no, he will go. He will take it. And he goes work with him. They give it to him. <laughs> right, right. So, 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 are we are we happy sort of where the with where the Dragonborn thread went? Eh. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it certainly <laughs> it certainly takes a backseat to other. Yeah. Stories, right? There, there's the Mahen thing, the Vanquisher thing. There's the the uh, what is it, the the Inlil kind of yeah. raising up as with, the new god. Yeah. Um, you know, so th- there's there's some things going on there. There's some important things going on there. But honestly, I was probably most excited about the whole thing when Dahl came back, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, Tamzawad showed up. And and even though Tamzawad never like played a major role, I just really liked that character a lot from uh, one of the previous books when he was introduced mm-hmm. that I'm just, anytime I see Tam, I'm, I'm super happy. So. Yeah. Tam was basically the catalyst for the final ritual. You need somebody to be able to manage the whole ritual at the end, oh. do the transfer. And to, you know, save somebody's life uh, because they went into that ritual pretty much sure that, you know, Someone so, will die. Some, someone's going to die, possibly all three of these people or four of these people or whoever it was. Um, and, and then they had to prioritize, well, we might have multiple deaths. We've only got one raised dead spell. How are we going to prioritize who to save when, when, we, when the time comes? Yeah. And, and, and somehow that one raised dead spell brings, brings back both Frida and, and Havilar. Well, they share, well, so- they share a soul, right? Yeah, they share a soul. They, it, it, basically, it's, they are part of a pact that Asmodee did, or whatever devil there is, for a new body for Briseris Contescos, but because she was also a twin, that's why mm. the soul was split up and we got Faraday and Havilah. Asmodee is a European publisher of board games. You mean, you mean Asmodeus? Asmodeus. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Sorry. <laughs> All right. So we are at about – we're almost at 50 minutes here uh, with this conversation. I uh, could talk about this book all night. I know, but I've all, we're going to add another 50 minutes from the, with the interview. So this is going to be like a two-hour episode, which, I mean, for the finale uh, – I mean, this is the last of the, of the uh, Forgotten Realms books that we know of that we'll be talking about on the show. Uh, it's definitely the last of the Brimstone Angels. I don't mind if, if it's our supersized sort of extravaganza here. Uh, but we are getting uh, to the point that I think it may be getting uh, tiresome for people by the time they get to the end. So uh, that said, last thoughts. Anybody have any last thoughts they want to share? 
I like the story. The story brought in a good end. I'm looking forward to reading more stuff from Evan Evans with possibly new characters. A little uh, preview for the, the interview. Does she talk about what she's going to be doing that future work? Yeah, so she has no... Uh... She has no contracts with anything right now, but she is work. She started working on a book, um, a new book about when this book came out. I think maybe before, and, and was plugging away at that in the, in the middle of doing so. Had this idea for another book that she just couldn't let go, and so she started working on that too. So she's kind of simultaneously writing two books at once right now, and, cool. and, and then once they're done, hoping to be able to start pitching them to to get a contract yes. and get it published. So excellent, good so, for yeah. her. Yes. So she's busy and, and also yeah. has, you know, a, what, a one-year-old and yes. and another child and all yeah. kinds of things going on. So Yeah, I got to say, like, I I just look at all of that she gets to do in awe because I don't even know. I only have <laughs> one and I don't have to rate while I have him. So I yeah. can't imagine what it was like for her. But you go to work every day. I mean, that's her I job. Do, yeah. that, that's her work. I mean, Erin doesn't have to write. She could get a regular job like like everyone else. <laughs> but we prefer that she doesn't. Yeah, I <laughs> exactly. We prefer we prefer that she she writes and she gets contracts and to read more wonderful books. And and becomes the next uh, JK MM Rowling Martin. All those things. Uh, honestly, I'll be happy if she's the next Jilly Johnson because Jilly Johnson left D and D books and started doing her own work, and that work is fantastic, which we'll be reading about in the next couple months. Uh-huh. Well, my my final thought is is I I was glad that we got to see uh, Raidra again uh, for for all of uh, five minutes, and uh, I will I will note that while she was talking to uh, Farida, Raidra was was blushing. What is that blush all about? I don't know. I'm certain that blush was all about Aaron Evans giving a certain nod to uh, to a Jeff D- Jeffrey D. Wynn over there. <laughs> yes, of course, of course. It was, it was all it was all a wink and a nod just for you, Jeff. So, so supporting the ship. Yes, that's, right. that's yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all yes. right. Any other last thoughts before we wrap it up? All right, then let's go now to an interview with Aaron Evans, the author of the book. We are here now with friend of the show and author of the Double You Know, Aaron M. Evans. Welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me. All right, it's great to hear everybody again, getting Tracy back into the swing of things, and then Aaron's here. I feel like I'm back home again. It's fantastic. <laughs> so we're talking about the Devil You Know. The the finale of the Brimstone mm-hmm. Angel series. So yes. so so being as concrete or not as you want, uh, what is the devil you know about? The devil you know is about tying up all the plot lines of the series. Um, it's uh, I think the devil you know is a story about um, Farida. Uh, and and how her story parallels her ancestress uh, mm-hmm. um, Briseis Kikistos, and sort of the the decisions you're willing to make, um, and where you draw your lines, and you know what at what point you you say that's enough. I'm not going there. Which was interesting. I was talking to someone about some other aspect of the book, and I realized that's that's a kind of a, a, a lot of a very thematic thing for a lot of the characters. 
There's devils. There's lots of devils. <laughs> yeah, I, I hadn't like uh, you talk about it being be like her compared to Briseis Kaskistos, and certainly the the parallels, the the mirrors there are are clear. I guess I hadn't considered the journey um, being a similar journey, but but there's a there is a lot of Farida sort of talking and uh, Farida and her sister talking about um, you know if. I was in this kind of danger. This is the kind of thing that you would do. And Frida, you know, doesn't really deny it either, right? She could have gone yeah. down that path too. Yeah. And I mean, this is a book that really kind of pushes her to a point where it's like she, her, her sister at the end of Ashes of the Tired Havilar is taken by Briseis Kekistos and um, possessed so that Briseis Kekistos has a body to walk around in. And so that's the thing that Frida's feared the most, throughout the whole series is that something bad is going to happen to Havilar and she won't be able to save her. Mm -hmm. And so now it's like, okay, it's time to pull out all the stops, but where do you stop? You know, there's, there is a point where, where she goes and they're, they're going to collect all the other, um, Kekistos there's all the other Brimstone angels. And she finds her mother and, uh, her, her birth mother. And in that conversation, you know, at says, I don't want to go with you. And Farida thinks I could make you, I could drag you off. And, and that would be the thing I need to do. But she, at the same time, goes, if I do that, like, I'm not really any better than Briseis Kekistos. And so she's kind of given these positions where it's like, you have to decide, like, are you going to do the thing that gets you what you want? Or are you going to do the thing that's right um, when, it, you know, when it comes down to the thing that you can live with? Um, and whereas I think Briseis Kekistos was kind of okay with moving her comfort zone, you know, with, with letting her, you know, whatever moral compass she had get dragged away to something else so that mm. she could achieve her goal, which, you know, then kept also changing. Yeah, because, I mean, ultimately her, her goal originates with the whole, like, saving of or bringing back her sister, right? Mm -hmm. but, yeah. but But certainly, like, while that might be laudable, it's really hard to justify some of the other stuff that she does just with that. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. like she has the you know great intentions, but she's willing to do a really a lot of terrible things, um, and and drag in other stuff, right? Mm. Like making these choices because you're mad at other people. Mm -hmm. um, you want revenge, then you're just making everything worse, kind of. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely seem to be like uh, just misfortune upon misfortune for her. Yeah, she kind of does a lot of it for herself. But oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. No, not not saying like. Oh yeah, that no. it was not deserved. <laughs> yeah, and we and we got to and you got to visit a few um, different places along the way. Um, we we went back to um, what's the town that she, that they grew up in. Uh, yeah, Arish Vayim. Yeah, Arish And And so did you have a sense when you started the series that um, the people in Arish Vayim would, would be who they ended up being? <laughs> okay, so truth time, I did not. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I uh, it, So if you've read the book, then you know that Garago, the wizard, um, turns out to be Kaisis, the vice lord. Um, who's one of the original Toro 13. 
And the, what happened was, I swear, every time I wrote a book and I wanted to kind of reference Arishvayam, I would mention Criella, the midwife, and then I would mention Garago. And Garago had never appeared on screen. He was just he just was the person that kept coming up because he was somebody that Farida and Havilar had a kind of relationship with. He lent them books, and he had this kind of interesting character, and so. Like he just he just kept coming up, and then every time somebody talked to Frida about wizards, she'd mention Garago, and so I was I knew I wanted to make her go back to Arishvayam because there's you know there's a a kind of a nice cyclical right. quality of that, and and I was trying to work out what needed to happen there, and I was I I had this tendency when I get to a point where I'm stuck, I'll write an email to my editor that's basically just me like talking to myself. But I, I, my magical thinking is I have to actually send it to her, otherwise it doesn't work. So, so I like write this whole thing out, and I'm talking, I'm thinking, you know, there's something about this that is a little hero's journey, right? Like, you know, you go to the land of the dead. Like, this is her past self. This is what she sloughed off, and now she has to face these guardians. And who would the guardians be? Like, Creel is obviously a guardian. She's this, you know, symbol, symbolic representation of, you know, the the way tieflings are treated. By the vast majority of society and who else well i can't you know you can jam people in there there's a couple other characters that get mentioned garago fits but what's the deal with garago who would he even oh my god i know who he is and it hit me i mean i was in the middle of ascended and it was like a lightning bolt and i went oh my god oh my like can i do that and i stopped and i called her and it was like okay i have an idea and it's either the best idea i've ever had or it's the worst um <laughs> and it it just fit it made sense and it was like that little part of you know when, when i feel like when i'm writing sometimes like my subconscious is is stringing things together. I mean, Aliona is a great example of that. Um, that was also not something I'd planned for Bryce's Kikis just to have a twin sister. It mm. sounds so obvious, right? It's like, duh, of course she has a twin sister. But um, I was writing Fire in the Blood. And there's a scene there where Bryn has been possessed by Briseis Kikistos. And then his cousin Constancia turns her and, and drives the ghost out of him. And I wrote something about, and it was supposed to be like, you could hear Briseis Kikistos screaming and Bryn screaming. And so it's something about these twin voices. I was like, oh man, it sounds like there's two ghosts in him. Oh my God, what if there's two ghosts in him? <laughs> um, and then I was like, I, I kind of went back and fit Aliona in. I think I had a, a chance to do that in... Uh, I might have been able to make a little mention of that in, in Adversary. I don't remember the timeline for that. But so then I, I kind of had a better view of like how all this falls together. Because mm -hmm. so much of it is like you just write stuff, you follow your gut and you're like, okay, this sounds interesting. Now, like, how do I make this make sense? Mm -hmm. You've planted enough seeds along the way that eventually you can figure out which ones you want to sprout. Yeah. And like what they're going to sprout into. And right? what they're going to Yeah. So speaking of... of Briseis Kakistos, uh, the ghost. Part of the whole, and and people should know if they're listening. Like we're assuming that you've read the book, and and you know you can't complain about spoilers. Uh, Don't you see, like spoilers be damned at the right. beginning? Yeah, we do, we do. Um, so so yeah, so Briseis Kakistos's sort of story is that she loses her sister, but saves the the soul in a gem. Mm -hmm. Where is that gem when Briseis Kakistos is a ghost? And how did she recover it? Like, is that a thing so that, that just happened in the background? or? So it's not It's not just that she's in the gem. Um, she also kind of splices her sister's ghost to herself. Okay. So the, the gem is sort of like a, like a bit of armor for mm. Aliona. 
but but the ghost is actually attached to her, which is why when Aliona leaves the gem, she can't really go very far unless she's kind of doing this dream thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That, like, if she's going to be in reality, she has to be attached to her sister. Um, So when she dies, when she's a ghost, her sister is connected to her. And then when she's reappearing, um, Aliona is actually in Frida and Havilar. She's the biggest part of what got torn out of Bryce mm-hmm. Kiki's dose. So that, and then the part of her that was sort of turning good and the part of her that remembered all of that is the piece that got split between the twins. Okay. Uh, and you also uh, managed to find a way to head off to a beer somewhere. I did. That, that somewhere that, so far <laughs> as I can tell, nobody has ever actually been to before in nope. novels. Uh, so t- talk about that. <laughs> how, how do we go to a beer and, and why'd you want to do that? Well, I figure, like, if, well, okay, so, I, I want to say, like, oh, this is the last book, so I'm just going to pull out all the stops, yeah. and there is a little of that, but the other thing is that I, um, I mean, I, I had set myself up with kind of a complicated problem over the course of this, and now it's, okay, this is the last book, I have to fix all, I have to finish all of this, so you have this staff of Azuth, and, and, and it needs to still exist, and so where is it? And why? I don't want to write a thing where they go down and siege Nessus, right? That's that's mm. just ridiculous. And not, <laughs> that's and, not the kind of book I write. And not just where is it, but how is it that even the gods can't find it? Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, if Asmodeus has it, well, then none of this is going to happen. And if, you know, it's on this plane, because originally it was like, well, maybe Kaisis is just has it. Um, and that doesn't make sense because if, if it's somewhere they can get to it. So where is it that you could put something that the gods and that, that devils and stuff can't get to? Well, a beer is like locked off from everybody, right? That's like the whole, the whole thing, like why nobody ever went there or knew about it and why there's no gods there and there's no magic. And um, that, that getting there through ways other than, you know, being able to make a portal, which I think the rules exist, but but assume there, when you assume, see like the the whole of like the novels and the adventures, and nobody goes there, you have to assume it's pretty rare. Yeah. Um, so it ends up being this really great place to hide something, um, and then it's interesting because you go, okay, what what do you find, and what makes it different? Um, and you, I mean, it still needs to be somewhere. Like I put it in a cave because it needs to be somewhere that people don't go because if you're in a place that has no magic and now you have this like super magic relic like why wouldn't you take it (laughs) why would it still be there um but it was fun because then i gotta weave in some dragonborn um legends and a weird monster and a a weird monster that also appeared in bob salvatore's last book did it really? Did yes. he have a Behir too? He had a Behir in, in uh, Hero that just shows up briefly. Like there's a, a mirror of soul trapping and Wolfgar mm-hmm. gets stuck in it. So they just keep throwing goblins in it, into it until Wolfgar pops back out. <laughs> but, in the, but in the meantime, like monsters keep coming out like a Behir at one point, which, you know, is all menacing and has a conversation with them. And they all just sort of agree to part ways and they're not going to mess with the Behir anymore and let it run away. <laughs> so now there's a Behir running around the realms because Bob just let it let it go. That is very funny. So there you go. Yeah. Mine's technically a, a Titan warped a beer or, sure. or Bahir. Bahir. Um, just, you know, in case anybody wants to compare. <laughs> well, and I also, I also thought of you recently. Um, I was listening to the latest uh, Dragon Talk podcast, the official D&D podcast, right? And they had um, – they, they always do their, their lore you should know segments. 
and they where they talk to Chris Perkins and, and Matt Sarnett about about various things, and oftentimes it's it's realms focused lore. Uh, and they were talking about the sundering and and the splitting of the world and then re sort of moving around pieces again and all that kind of stuff. Um, and and Greg Tito, the host, asked, you know, so a beer is still still this place out there and it's kind of in this other dimension sort of thing and whatever, like is there any way to go there? And and Chris's response was, well, We've kind of left that door open for whatever people want to do with it, but we don't really – we don't go there. We don't deal with it. Yeah. And I'm like, well, well, Aaron did. <laughs> so if, if, if you read the novels, it, it's already been well, done. Maybe he'll read it and, and he'll be surprised. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> maybe, maybe he'll get some emails saying, hey, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. My, I, my understanding was originally with 4th Edition there was a plan to have some novels that went to a beer, but mm. then – they they wanted to focus on the things that felt like a little more familiar because people were kind of poorly reacting to how changed it was yeah (laughs) which i think is unfortunate because i think that you know kind of showing how these new things could fit into the realms Mm -hmm. i mean i don't know that i feel like on some level that's how i made my series right Mm -hmm. that's why it's kind of was as successful as it was embrace some of that stuff because yeah because it was like okay this is the you know new because i think you know there are definitely readers out there who get tired of you know just reading you know reading the same kind of thing mm-hmm. this is like new new in a way that's like it's on it's flat on the cover right mm-hmm. um but it still feels realmsy mm-hmm. so absolutely yeah no there was this whole um it was the, the, a section, and I remember in the fourth edition campaign guide, there was a whole like across the sea replacing Mazteca was mm-hmm. the, this area called Return to Beer, which is like a whole little like subcontinent or whatever that that appeared from a beer uh, that I always like wanted to go and explore. Because I'm like, well, that's interesting because then you can find out like what it, what it, the world is like in a beer without actually having to go there. Yeah. Um. And and yet I never felt like I had enough information to really flesh it out and justify going there so yeah so there you go if you ever get a chance if you want to go dig around in the dead stone mountains right you know what one cave of it looks like i now know what one cave you have a vague description for how to get up to the surface someday if you if you ever get a a dnd novel contract again and want to write that zuni focus novel uh that's that's the kind of stuff you can explore Is that the? I had a. I don't know if this is what you're talking about, but I had a dream once that I there was. I went to a movie opening, and it was basically Homeward Bound, starting Zuni and Guinevere, oh, like Dritz Panther uh-huh. and Zuni. And the only thing I remember was them standing in the snow and Guinevere looking totally pissed off while Zuni was like bouncing around her. Well, we've, like, ne- we've never <laughs> had Guinevere's. Uh, uh, dialogue, like an internal dialogue, whereas Zuni, like. I, w- I want to hear more things narrated by Zuni oh. in my life. So. <laughs> That's right. I forgot you see your dream. That, that was like my favorite chapter. Oh, really? <laughs> I, ju- I just like hear- hearing things from Zuni's perspective. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, I really like that part too. Thank you. It was nice because I think so. I, I, I have definitely seen people kind of question how you have a Nessian warhound. Because mm-hmm. I think, I mean, the Monster Manual makes hellhounds sound like they're unstoppable killing machines. But the, mm-hmm. I think the thing is that 
you're going to have these, they're going to have to be super lawful. I mean, they're, they're basically your cavalry mounts in some ways. So they are going to have to like be really good at following orders and really like it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's the most important thing. And so mm -hmm. Zuni doesn't hesitate to bite off, um, the lamb's hands because her mistress said so. So she does that, but she can also be really gentle with Remzi because like he's Havilar's and mm -hmm. she recognizes that and Bryn says don't do that so she doesn't do that it's not so much she wants to cause pain as she is incredibly loyal mm -hmm. and, you know then she's been raised not to be particularly nasty so mm -hmm. well if, you, if you're looking for for ideas for a future story I, I think a, a, Zuni, <laughs> a Zuni based story would be fantastic you know also not just thinking about like various creatures having PR agents <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I think that'd be great. A, a monster-focused story, but not from like your normal humanoids-type monsters, but like with a lot of internal dialogue and, and you know the struggles of being a monster and, and trying to improve your 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 image, make your optics better. You know, my agent says I have to do this. Yeah, I don't want to do this. <laughs> that'd be fun. You know, uh, Ed's publishing some some uh, fiction through DMs Guild. That could always yeah. be an option to get us our, our Zuni story. <laughs> I question whether they would publish it, but it's DMs Guild. because they, I I haven't actually I haven't looked into how it works, and I don't know exactly what the um, the limitations are in fiction because I have definitely heard they don't do fiction. Yeah, so like, so, so, past, so I don't know the way Ed got. The way Ed has handled that is that the book that he's published, or the the, the short story he's published at this point, is uh, about 80, 90% fiction with like a chapter at the end that's like mechanics tied into the fiction. So, mm. see, so see, it's a, it's a, it's a game book. There you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's all on the up and up that way. Uh, so, so, this is the conclusion of the Brimstone Angels series. Yes. Uh, do you feel like you hit all the story beats you were kind of hoping to hit as you were going <laughs> through that story? I mean, I know... I, I kind of made myself. Well, sure. Um, well, so the one thing that I wish I'd had a little more time for, I feel like Dahl got a little short-shrifted with his prophecy. Um, that was partly because oh, yeah. they changed... <laughs> They changed the um, the adventure storyline that I was supposed to connect with a couple times. So originally, it was supposed to be giants, and that was earlier. And so I was trying to come up with something that involved giants, and then all of a sudden it was demon lords. And then giants moved out, and then it was, okay, I need this to work with giants, but I still have to finish the series, and I still have to follow up ashes of the tyrant and so it became very like okay then later he goes and like learns stuff about a beer from giants mm -hmm. for the glory of knowledge and that's i wish had been a little more gotten a little more space mm -hmm. um his his uh he had a lot it turned out he had a lot of of character development through the whole series so he didn't lack for screen time i think but um, that particular thing, I, I would have handled it a little differently. But the other thing that I'm I'm sort of pleased with was that my my initial plan was that if I were to do like a second series, it was going to be about 
um, this kid that Havilar and Bryn had while mm-hmm. she was in the Hells, and like they find out that this kid exists, and then there you have a series that's a combination of like trying to find and rescue this kid, and coming back to making a deal with Asmodeus that if um, Farida and Havilar and company can recover a certain number of souls, this kid will be um, untouchable because like the deal was never when she makes that deal with Asmodeus about don't leave don't don't bother my family right it doesn't include this kid um so then it's you're kind of like a bounty hunter for the hell like looking for the bad people mm. <laughs> to collect your souls. and so it's like are you bad or are you good and, and is this reasonable and they can have all sorts of conversations about you know starting families and if you want to and um so I had seeded that like in Fire in the Blood when Havilar puts on her dress and it doesn't fit right and she complains about it. Like mm-hmm. that was because I wanted that to be in my pocket if I needed it. And and by the time I got to this book, I liked that idea so much. I didn't want to let go of it. So I just crammed it in. So you get Ramsey. Um, who's, so that story turns out a little differently than it would have if it was a whole series. Mm, sure, sure. Um, yeah. That would have taken place further down the line probably. But, um, but I managed to do it. So I'm glad because a lot of people noticed that and asked me what was up. Like, was she pregnant, like, at the moment? Or why was why was this in there? Um, and I, I would have felt bad if it, if I had to say, oh, yeah, that was sort of something I didn't get to do. So yeah, I mean, the, and there, was an, <laughs> there was an element of, I just sort of assumed that, I mean, because the, they matured physically significantly because uh, they were in, you know, they were in stasis or whatever for a long period of time. Um, so I just sort of assumed things didn't fit quite right because their body types had, had changed a little bit or whatever. Um, but it was, it was a, it's a clever seed because then when it came up again in this book, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a thing. I get that now. So. It was sort of fun, too, because in, in Ash is a Tyrant, there's a part where um, I realized that I kind of wanted to have a nod to the fact that, that, they, that they were on magical birth control. <laughs> <laughs> just because it seemed it just seemed like something that should be talked about and, and that Mahen would bring up right so he has that argument and he's like like you are responsible for buying this stuff and um and then Havlar was uh throwing up and I was like oh god all the readers and go she pregnant she's pregnant and so I had to make Bryn notice it so that and that, that's where that whole kind of character conflict came from because it was like it's everybody's primed for this, right? Mm. So I kind of jerked people around with it for a while. So it was kind of nice to be like, she was! <laughs> <laughs> Off screen, never mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and actually, so listening to it, having just gone through pregnancy and like, so I didn't, I don't think I caught as much about like the dress not fitting and I probably had the same thought Jeff did the first time. But, uh, it was. It rang very true to me. The permanent changes that happen to one's body. Because mm. <laughs> like I like, lost. Yeah. Sorry. I lost like forty pounds from be- my pre-pregnancy weight. Uh, over the course of like pregnancy and the month or so afterwards. So, but my jeans around the waist are not really thinner, but in the legs they really are, and I think it's right? because my hips got wider. Mm. It's so weird. Like you be, you'll be like, I'm pretty much the same size once you get, you know, everything settled out, or, or you know, in your case, thinner. And and then yet none of my clothes fit because they're for someone whose body is shaped differently than mm. this. Yeah, like you have to go find all new brands to wear because it's just yeah. 
yeah, all of my jeans at this point. I I need to go shopping again because I have no excuse. My kid is a year old at this point. But I feel like all <laughs> of them are either like I stand up and they fall off, or they're like I can't get them like comfortably buttoned over my hips because things are just weird. <laughs> there's your there's your TMI theater. There you go. No, I've had the exact same experience with all of my kids. It's it's you know I completely understand. <laughs> Very good. Uh, yeah, so, and you also mentioned the, the Giants a, a bit, and, and they were really cool. They did seem to come a little bit out of nowhere. Um, they, yeah, well, they were they were definitely something I was told right. that to do, and, and part of it is that the, the system they had was if you don't use the adventures, then you won't be part of any kind of PR push, um, and then it, it doesn't seem to have been the case this time. Um, the Giants were... Kind of, I, I was in a meeting and Chris Perkins had this idea for these giants that carve things on themselves. Oh yeah. Um, and I, I said, can I make them be from a beer? That's really the only way to make this work for me. Um, and I gave them the dream magic. Um, to, yeah, which, I th- which I thought was cool. Thank you. Um, so it's kind of, I guess it's a collaboration in a certain sense, but um, that way they fit into the story better. But then it is a little, you, it is one of those times where it feel you can kind of see that it ties to the game because. Sure. Uh, after a point, it didn't. I mean, they didn't fit in with the rest of it. They're not they, the character. The way that they characterized them, it would be weird for them to join in that battle, um, and to change the way they were characterized would sort of change all the things that made them work. Mm. But they're there, <laughs> and they're cool. Uh, they're, yeah, they just don't necessarily like. Th- they're not they, my favorite part. <laughs> well, and, and and they they certainly bring out certain um, in their conversation with some of the other characters, they bring out some important elements. In terms of, yeah. like, the big battle, it probably could have played out the same without whether they were there or not. But but there yeah. are some elements where some characters have some revelations because of them. That's um, true. So, so that's where I felt they were they were particularly interesting. Not in the fight, but in the, in the conversations before the fight. Anyway, I guess um, those are my... That's what I had to talk about. Tracy, did you have any other things you wanted to ask? I don't think so right now. I will fess up that I haven't been able to finish it yet. So. Oh no, we spoiled things. No, it's okay. She was warned. I, uh, I don't mind being spoiled, but it's just it's so hard with the five month old. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, like I keep I keep wanting to ask questions like how did you write what you're doing all this with like you have I, kids. Yeah. I have well, I have wonderful support system. Um, and I had a deadline, and if I didn't hit it, <laughs> the book was not going to come out. So I was very, very motivated. Mm, I suppose. Um, I am glad the book came out. This is the thing: is like you know, it was it, it had to come out when it came out, and if it didn't, it wouldn't be published. And I have worked on both sides of of the novels, and I've seen, um, you know, I've seen what it, how much it sucks when you have a series and it, it gets kind of cut off mm-hmm. before you're ready. Um, so I've definitely always been a little prepared, but, um, that scheduling stuff came out after I had written Ashes of the Tyrant with that big, big cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, <laughs> we're going to figure out how to make this happen because it's, you know, otherwise it's going to be so unsatisfying. It will haunt me forever. Mm-hmm. I feel like. Um, like the end of one but, of those TV series where they, they get to the end of the season and they leave you on a cliffhanger. 
and then it never and then it gets canceled in the middle of summer it's ah yeah oh what happened also just like i mean some of it was hard too my son was um two months old he had uh seizures and so i wrote some of the scenes in the children's hospital um Mm -hmm. it was really hard to make myself write but i also like it was a week from deadline and i'm like okay but the nice thing was it made me revisit some of Mahen's scenes um and and i say that the nice thing like there's anything nice about your kid being in the hospital (laughs) but it did make me revisit some of Mahen's scenes and and put a little more you know feelings in them sure that that felt true and um gives you a whole different parental perspective yeah yeah and that idea of like you know when you're there's a and I mean, your kids are growing as your kids, right? Mm-hmm. I, I assume. <laughs> I've only gotten up to five, but but at the same time, like at some point, they're adults and they've got to do their own thing, and that's been Mahen and Farida's sure. conflict for the whole series. So, yeah. Very, very. I mean, so t- n- not so awesome about about your son, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. it's very cool that that it it worked its way into the story. Yeah. Thanks. So kind of on the topic of, like, having to give up, like, loosen that bond and move on, do you want to give any hints about what's next for you? (laughs) I worry I'm going to jinx it, because I feel like whenever (laughs) I talk about projects I don't have actual contracts for, um, then I get in trouble. I'm taking a break from doing uh, tie-in stuff. I'm working on my own fiction. Um, I... I started working on a novel. I started. I got the idea for it. I think in the middle of Ashes of the Tyrant, and it's been kind of having to percolate. Um, it's kind of. I, I've been describing it as a fam, a fantasy family saga. Um, so ideally, it's a series that goes through a couple generations um, mm. of this family, um, and it's. Uh, it's it's at a stage where like when I start talking about it, we're, we're drifting rapidly into, let me tell you about my character territory <laughs> because I don't know how to elevator pitch it yet. Um, but it's, it's basically the first book centers on these three siblings, um, who are the, um, descendants of this. Well, okay. So actually here's an easier way to do it. I wrote a short story for, um, uh, half no fury, an anthology out with mm-hmm. Ragnarok press. And so that's the um, that's the prequel. So I have this this country, I guess that's that's uh, kind of up in the these mountains, and and they they worship the well, they, worship is a funny word. There are these spirits. There are spirits of the place in in all the the country, the lands around here, right? And in this particular country, they're they're very wild but very powerful. But they only talk to this particular bloodline, the speakers' bloodline, um, and they can do a sort of prophecy. But they they need it, it involves a lot of sacrifice, like like blood. Um, and the country that exists to the south, fearing being they, they they use the spirits and kind of process them for magic but they're running low on their own spirits because you know it's a limited resource um and they're worried about being conquered again um so they take over viorum the, the country of the north and kill the they try to wipe out the speaker's bloodline so that that the they can just hunt the the spirits um 
and so these three kids are some of the there are some of the 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 heir was he he was kind of a ladies man and got a lot of got a lot of kids um so these are three of the bastards and so you kind of watch them raise a um a rebellion but also uh kind of looking at the geopolitics of it and and also re-examining what their culture was and values and and it wasn't it wasn't so clean clear cut as like we were doing fine and then you guys came along Hmm. um but it's hopefully (laughs) it's still it's still in the beginning stages so hopefully it's got lots of that sort of family dynamic um it's two sisters and a brother um that i like to do and uh there's there's some characters i really love is the brother Um, the youngest one no he's the middle oh okay it's almost my family (laughs) <laughs> yeah um and then you also have then, you also went crazy and decided to start working on another, another project yeah, I, right? I, I was on vacation i just started another one because that one i really am enjoying um but it is something that is it, i i feel like when you write you've got sort of two competing forces um I, i've heard them described as your your editorial impulse and your creative impulse mm. um i've heard them described as your head and your gut or mm-hmm. your heart and um this book because i did so much world building and planning and because there is a lot of like i want this i want to evoke this feeling in the reader it's gotten very um editorial it's very very up in my head mm-hmm. um, and I think it's a good book still but I was sort of losing my grip on on what I loved about it and my gut so I had this other idea kind of floating around and I like it suddenly like I, I put two pieces together and I'm like oh this this oh I like this so that one I am totally just writing by my gut so it might be terrible by the time <laughs> I'm done because I, I tend to work best when I can get both pieces kind of working in the, in, in tandem uh-huh. so that I just, I have an urge to do something and my brain says, Oh, that's cause it does this. Um, instead of, you know, trying to make myself want to, you know, write this particular turn. But the nice thing is writing, you know, writing this other story, um, w- which is, I don't even, I don't even quite know how to explain it. <laughs> it starts with a, it does also start with a, a kind of a coup in the past, and then it's sort of unpicking the mystery of what that was really about um and you've got hidden identities and it takes place around um like a massive archive so like a like a museum library place that's a sort of fortress but um in writing it it's nice because it 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 sort of strengthens that creative um muscle Mm -hmm. and so they go oh okay wait but if i come back over to the first thing then the reason this scene is is not as lively is because you know they need this extra problem mm-hmm. or they, they need an interaction that shows they're on the same side or that they're opposed or whatever um, and and sort of being able to kind of translate through that filter so we'll see I figure if I just sort of work on whichever one grabs me every day uh, one of them eventually will start overpowering the other and it will get numb. And then the other one will be there in your back pocket, and you can finish that one Yeah. Next. So I finish the first one, send it out, there you go. work on the second one for, you know, if anybody doesn't mm-hmm. want the first one. So. Well, and, yeah. and in the meantime, you're exploring some very uh, relevant themes in the overthrow of the government, so. <laughs> I know, <right>? <laughs> <laughs> There was a 
lot of W you know that I was like, oh, I feel like I was predicting things and I didn't mean to predict things. Uh, so. There you go. You, you are, you're present. Yeah. Everybody read the lessons about tyrants, the ancestor stories about the tyrants. There you go. <laughs> All right. Very good. So any, any last things you want to say before we, uh, we let you go and, and hopefully someday <laughs> like bring you back and, and talk I to you about know, your next I, books? I feel like this is like the end of an era here. Like, well, this is, we've, we've done all six of these. In fairness, we've done all six of these plus your uh, Waterdeep book plus as well. God, plus Godcatcher, yeah. yeah. But, that, but we've also had you on for non-book conversations, so we will continue to reach out. You're still a D&D fan and a player, so... Um, there's no reason we can't still uh, reach out and have you on every now and then. <laughs> well, I would love it. You don't you don't get off uh, off the hook that easily, and by <laughs> and by easily I mean finishing a what six book series. It's so, the the thing that's so weird is you finish like you finish a book and it it's really hard to kind of I find it hard to rest on my laurels at all because um, it's like okay but I don't have another I don't have another one done yet. Mm. Um, I don't know. My mother-in-law is like, isn't it amazing? You've written seven books. I'm like, but I've only written seven books. Like, <laughs> that's a start. So it is, it's hard to like, it, like I know in my head that that's, that is a, a cool thing, but. Well, in my mind, if, if, uh, Jalee Johnson is any indication, uh, D and D authors who leave D and D work and go on <laughs> to do their own thing are incredibly successful. So, yeah, I would love. I would love. <laughs> just follow follow in her footsteps. That's my advice. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I, I I and I didn't realize that she'd even had non D and D books come out until oh. I went down to my school's book fair and I saw uh, you know Mark of the Dragonfly by Julie, by Julie Johnson. I know her. Awesome, you know. So <laughs> yeah, I think that she. I, I'm pretty sure she has a sequel out too. Yeah, she does. But I I'm I'm terrible at titles. Uh, yeah, and I'm not sure, if, and I haven't listened to the, to the second one yet. I'm not sure if it's a true sequel or if it's a second book in the same setting. Oh yeah, I think it's the second book in the same setting. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, so but I really like the first book, so I'm I'm eager to jump into the next one when I get a chance. This is the super problem of, of small children. Is like I have a giant stack of books, yeah. right? Like Tracy was saying, like getting. I, although I I I made that a priority in the last month or so to just like read a ton. Well, so you get you but get older children like I do, and uh, and they're driving with me in my commute to school every day because their school's across the street. So we listen to audiobooks together. See, I am dreaming of that. Mm-hmm. It's like, fantastic. Or, or even just when he can read by himself. Mm-hmm. And he can sit next to me and read his book, and I'll read my book, and mm-hmm. we'll just have this nice bonding time where it's he gets pretty, to read. It's pretty fantastic. He does. He is at least old enough to enjoy reading chapter books mm-hmm. good. Um, together. So that's the, good. Old, the, just read, the oldest, not the youngest. The oldest, yeah, yeah. The youngest one likes to eat books. Yeah, well, <laughs> so, they're delicious. Yeah. So so no nook for him. There you go. Um, no, we just read Howl's Moving Castle that series. Hmm. He quite enjoyed it. Then we got the movie and I'm like, what the heck is this? This is completely different. Hmm. I don't know that that story, so. Oh, it's quite it, it's delightful. I liked it. We're listening to <laughs> The Neverending Story right now, so So you'll be you'll be for that for a while. It's it's um yuck, yuck, yuck. it's long. I it's, I it's, I like it's it. It's never ending maybe. It's <laughs> not quite, but it's a good 18-19 hours in audiobook, so. Ah, see, that's nothing. 
Uh, I don't. What was Devil You Know? I think Devil You Know is twenty four, wasn't it? Was I feel it like I feel like I remember twenty four. It's at least twenty. I can pull it up. I have it right here. Um. Oh, I have to look at the info because I've already finished it. View book details. Twenty hours and thirty nine minutes. Oh, okay. Where? Okay. I actually I have a question for you because people keep asking me this. Which book is your favorite in the series? Ooh. Um. <laughs> Do you like any of them? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to pull up all of them so I can have them in front of me. All right, so Brimstone Angels, Lesser Evils, uh, Godcatcher, uh, Ashes of the Tyrant, Devil You Know, what was, the, well, what am I missing? Adversary, you skipped Adversary. Adversary. What was the one, um, what was the one at the library? That was Lesser Evils. Was it? Wow, that yep. that doesn't seem like it was that long ago. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I really like that library thing going on. I think that's that would be a really cool setting for a D and D game. Mm-hmm. Maybe with, this with is the, what I should do with the intelligent yeah, book I, thing going on. Yeah. yeah, I got asked to do go to Game Hall Con, and they have you run games while you're there. Maybe this is what I should figure out, yeah. like mm-hmm. how to run a game in the Lost Library of Tarkamas. And then anybody who signs up is going to already have read my book, so they'll they'll all know. But. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to go with uh, with that one. I like that one. Tracy, do you have a favorite? It's hard. Cause like, so I like a lot of what happened, particularly after they woke up. Uh-huh. But I have to admit, while listening to this one this time, I, I kind of was having like a nostalgia moment for back when they were just like teenage girls with the chapter books. With the chat books? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was like, man, I still want to write a chat book. <laughs> They're growing up too fast. <laughs> now it's all doom and gloom, and I, I just want to go back to the chat books. <laughs> so I hope you don't. That doesn't offend you. Aaron. No, no. I thought you'd find it funny. I, <laughs> that's it. I don't know. My husband asked me this recently. He's the most recent one to ask me this because he finally finished it. And he's like, he's like, I think this one might be my favorite. I'm like, oh, huh. And he's like, what was yours? I'm like, fire in the blood. And he goes, huh. Like, why? <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's the one I had the, the most free, I had the freest reign on. Oh, like, yeah. Be- well, because that one, up. that one didn't like specifically tie it, have to tie into anything, mm-hmm. did it? No, they they were still working out how they were going to do it, and they didn't tell me to do anything. So uh-huh. it was a- it was after the Neverwinter stuff, but before the Sundering. No, no, that was after the Sundering, but before they started oh, okay. doing yeah, yeah, yeah. adventure paths or whatever yeah, they're calling yeah, that's, them. That's right. Uh, so I did have to like you know sync up with what had happened in the other Sundering books, and I mean I had to sync up with Cormier, but it wasn't. It, it that kind of stuff that that stuff that's sort of like events and and people and day to day stuff is a lot easier than like thematic. I feel like sure. when, when it's put demon lords in your story, that can be fun. And I mean, I like Ashes of the Tyrant. I think it worked out really well. Yeah. But it it does it does change the story in a very fundamental way. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Did you did you read Ed's last book? I haven't yet. No. So 
he references every single adventure path that they've published <laughs> in one book. Like there's yeah. a there's a cloud giant castle floating around, and Morden Caden is hanging out in Waterdeep because he he got brought in from Ravenloft, and he like ev- <laughs> everything is in it. He references everything. It's crazy. It's funny. I, I can just see Ed just going crazy, you know, throwing throwing everything at the wall, seeing what sticks. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, like, and and it was, and some of it was like really interesting, like oh, or like early on, this cloud giant castle, floating cloud giant castle thing came up, and I, I kind of wanted the story to be about that, and then it went into somewhere else. <laughs> <you know? laughs> so it was That's fun. Apparel, right? Like yeah. those are their own stories, and they're big, and they're bold, and they're interesting, but they're not always. Like, I, I don't know, I, I definitely saw people saying that that having Gratz in, in Ashes of the Tyrant, it wasn't like a really a demon lord story or something, but it's like, okay, but that's the way Gratz fits into Brimstone Angel Saga. Right. And so I'm not novelizing a game, that's a different kind of book, right. so... Well, go, and, and go play, go play, go beat him up. <laughs> I was just happy to see Gratz, I think he's my favorite of them all, and he never gets any play. Yeah, so. he's hard though. I, I mean, now we're talking about a book that's already done, but he, uh, he's like, I really didn't want to use him originally because I'm no. like, he's, he's not, he's he's weird because he's a very devilish demon. He is, yeah. He sort of ends up getting, he, he, he get, he's, I think he's attractive to, to write about. And so he collects a lot. That's the peril of having lots of cooks in the kitchen, right? Having a shared world and lots of people writing about it. That if you have lots of people wanting to play with the one piece it starts to collect a lot of fingerprints mm-hmm. um, and so he ends up being it's really hard to sort of say okay he's a demon and demons act like this but Gratz embodies all these other things that they're not supposed to act like so how do you you know how do you make that work but I feel like I found a place where they work and then I loved him but yeah initially yeah. I was like oh that guy <laughs> <laughs> One that's not, doesn't really show up in the adventures. You can kind of do whatever you want with him, and you can be wherever yeah. you need him to be. And yeah, I think part of that was because I was so I felt so strongly about portraying Gratz this way that I wanted to make sure that if someone was writing about him, that there was I could have some kind of a discussion, and that we could kind of make sure that it didn't go straight to like, you know, which orgy dude, right? Without like kind of meeting in the middle, and and it was easier to just say, okay, don't want anybody to write about Gratz. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, all right. I think I feel like we we've wandered into just sort of sitting around and chit chatting in yeah, for, right. the last ten minutes. But <laughs> do you have any other questions for us? Um, no, I don't know. No, all right. That's always dangerous, right? Like, tell me what you think about my book. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I, I have been I, I have been singing your praises uh, for a while. I, I think I've even tagged you in a few like Facebook posts or whatever, where people are asking about, oh, what realms novels should I check out? And yours yours is always the first one I, I point people to. So, oh, thank you. Yeah, and I've definitely enjoyed them too. This current uh, situation makes it hard to get through books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just always I wish I could have gotten more to tan. Get through. You know, I know exactly how valuable that is. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what the compliment there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's uh, that's that's enough chit chat. We can probably go ahead and wrap things up and say goodbye. Aaron, where can people go to to find out more about what you're up to these days? 
Theoretically, you can go to slushlush.com, although I will tell you right now it's pretty quiet. <laughs> Where you update uh, with all of your copious free time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so when my, when my free time frees up a little, um, I'll, I'll post on there. That well, might at, be. At the very least. My older kids in kindergarten, finally. <laughs> at the very least, when you, ha- when you have something that's, that, when you have news about future projects, to, yeah, to announce, so I already am falling behind because um, the Shadow of the Demon Lord anthology um, just came out. It's available on Drive Through RPG, mm-hmm. and I have a story in that. Um, and Ash of the Tyrant it came out in paperback, and I didn't tell anybody. I forgot. <laughs> get on that. And that, uh, but I did mention I did mention Half No Fury from Ragnarok Press. There you go. Yeah. I think in March. I've seen a lot of chat about chat about that one. I'm excited to see it. I, there's yeah. a lot of really sharp authors in there. Cool. I'm really delighted to be included. Very good. Well, it was great chatting with you again, and thanks again for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that's the end of this episode of this Tome Show Book Club. Uh, we want to say thank you to OpenGamingStore.com. Go check them out and let them know that you came from us. But we also want to say thank you to Jeffrey D. Wynn. Jeffrey D. Wynn, where can people find out more about you? I like using your full name, by the way. Well, you can follow me <laughs> on Twitter at Jeffrey D. Wynn. That's G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y-D-W-I-N-N. Uh, I don't tweet a lot, but uh, maybe you can private message me and ask me about my private life. Mm. You can also follow me on Instagram at the same handle where I post pictures of food through a Prisma filter. So if you're into that. Uh-huh. <laughs> you post a lot of pictures of food on Facebook as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can also listen to the Appendix and podcast where I talk about uh, fascinating books uh, from uh, the first half of the 20th century. The books that inspired Gary Gygax when he created Dungeons and Dragons. And, and I will be starting my very – I'll be starting a new podcast next year uh, coming in March, uh, the Sailor Moon Silver podcast uh, covering the 25th anniversary of my favorite anime, Sailor Moon. So look forward to that. There you go. If you're a Sailor Moon fan, you should definitely be looking for that. Uh, I also want to thank our listeners. Thanks for using our affiliate links on D&D, uh, I'm sorry, DM's Guild. The script still says D&D Classics, as if that was still a thing. On DM's Guild and Amazon. We also want to thank our patrons, Doug Palmer and Mark. In, in addition to them this month, we want to thank con- uh, a contributor to the show who's also become a patron uh, all the way from across the pond. Thank you, John Green. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com or our biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And you can find us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Magic. Jeff is at Squatch. And Eric is Eric M. Pack. And in fact, I've also started, uh, actually for the first time, using the, the official Tome Show Twitter account as well. So you can find that uh, at... The uh, at Tome Show at Tome Show, I think. I should double check. <laughs> <laughs> so people kept tweeting at it, and I've I've owned the account forever, and I've never really done anything with it because I just run everything through, um, through my personal one. Uh, but finally, I said, you know what? Fine. I think I can figure out what what the password was for that again. And so now I I I, I successfully tweet from both, and it is at the Tome Show. So there we go. 
Uh, if you want to find show notes for this show uh, or any of the other great podcasts uh, over at The Tome Show, you can go to thetomeshow.com. And that is our thoughts on The Devil You Know. Next up for January and February of 2017, we'll be reading The Secrets of Solace by Jaleed Johnson, a former D&D novelist who's gone on, as I mentioned earlier, to write some fantastic uh, fiction that she, in her own world. So until then, keep turning the page, Tomites. I'm not a wall.